All right. Well, as you take a seat, grab your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2, passage that is going to be familiar to you at this point, at least I hope. Um, but uh, we're going to look at this morning uh, how the early believers devoted themselves to prayer. Now, so far, we, we've seen that they, first and foremost, devoted themselves to Christ. And then we've, the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, what devotion to Christ led them to do. And we said that that led them to devote themselves to Scripture so that they might know God more closely. It led them to devote themselves to fellowship so that they might experience His presence within um, their gatherings more really. And so this morning, we, we turn our attention to prayer. And as we do, I'm, I just want you to stop and think for a second. If you know, or when you think of the idea of a prayer warrior, who comes to mind? Someone who has devoted themselves, or, or maybe did devote themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we're told that the early believers devoted themselves to praying. And so, uh, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to read the passage and we'll, we'll look at how the early believers uh, went about praying and, and what that looked like in their own lives. And we'll look at a few different places throughout the New Testament and what, what it has to tell us about prayer, what, it, what the, the New Testament expects from us when it comes to prayer. Uh, and then, get this, we're going to spend some time praying because it seems kind of foolish to talk about prayer and then not do it when it's so simple and something that we can uh, do. And so the, the last bit of our time this morning will be simply um, walking through some prayer, and I'll, I'll have some scriptures to guide us as we do so. So that's where we're going. So if you have uh, your Bible and you are in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. The word of the Lord says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day... The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together as your people and to open up your word. We pray that you will bless our time here together as we look at what your word has to say about prayer. We look at the, how the early believers went about praying. And I pray you would join us as we simply take some time to pray, to focus our attention and our affections on you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So when we look at Acts 2 and it says that they devoted themselves to prayer, we need to ask, what does that mean? What does that look like? In the lives of the early believers, to simply say they devoted themselves to prayer, what's the picture that we're given? Well, we are given primarily 
two sort of arenas where the believers devoted themselves to prayer. And this, this is our big idea for the morning. The, believers, the other believers devoted themselves to prayer both corporately and privately. Okay? So they devoted themselves to prayer both corporately, meaning when they were gathered together in a local church, or as, they, as we're told, as they met from house to house each and every day, they devoted themselves to prayer when they were together with other believers. But also, they were people of prayer even when they were alone. In fact, throughout the, the New Testament, we see several times where the believers are gathered to pray. And in fact, we see pretty powerful things that happen when the believers are gathered together. At the beginning of Acts chapter 2, in fact, we have the, the Holy Spirit falling on believers as they gather together. In Acts chapter 13, the, the church in Antioch was gathered together when the Holy Spirit called them to set Paul and Barnabas aside. Now, we'll talk about the importance of gathering to worship in a couple of weeks, but, but we see here that God does big things when His people are gathered together. And in Acts 13, after the Holy Spirit called them to set Paul and Barnabas aside, we're told that they gathered as a church, prayed over them, and then sent them out. God moves when His people are gathered together. And since the beginning of the church, God's people have gathered to pray. But we also see that individual believers prayed on their own throughout the New Testament. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, verse 9, for instance, Peter went up on the roof to pray and God revealed something to him. God had a mission for him as he was praying, and that was that he should go to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, otherwise known as a non-Jew. That's the first time in the book of Acts that we see, the, the, really, in, in most of the Bible as a whole, that we see the message of the gospel being proclaimed to someone who is not a Jew. One of the few times in Scripture up to that point, and the first time in the book of Acts, and then from there, really, the, the book of Acts begins to focus exclusively on Paul and his companions, whose mission it is to, to take the message to the Gentiles, which, by the way, is us, okay? So you should be grateful for that. Later in, in Acts 16.25, uh, and we, we looked at Acts 16 last week, Paul and Silas were in prison after casting a spirit out of a slave girl. Remember that? We, we talked about that last week. And as they're in prison, we're told they were praying and singing hymns to God. Just the two of them, privately. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake, that, and that, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. They were praying, and God showed up and moved in a big way. And so what we see, we see the, the believers uh, praying, devoting themselves to prayer, both corporately and privately, and throughout the New Testament, what we see is this. The Bible assumes we will pray. The, the, the New Testament assumes that God's people will be people of prayer. I have a few passages that will, uh, that, that will direct us there. 
all right, and show us how the Bible just assumes that, that we're going to pray. The first one is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn, turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. If you, if you want to turn there in the Bible, you can. It's also, it'll also be up on the screen. Notice how Jesus begins this prayer. Whenever you pray. There's an assumption that, that, that his disciples will already be praying, right? Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. And from there, he goes into the Lord's prayer. So here we see... We see Jesus assuming his people will pray and then giving them some direction about how to pray. First of all, don't make it showy, right? Go into your uh, private room. Some, some translations there will have go into your closet. Now, there are times, as we've said, when it's good for the church to gather together in prayer. There are also times when it's good for you to go in prayer by yourself and no one else knows what's, what's going on. And then how do we pray? says, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Um, I don't want to get too far off track here, but have you noticed people completely change their entire demeanor when they pray? For instance, no other conversation would ever go like this. Michelle, I'm so glad to see you, Michelle. I'm so glad to be with you, Michelle. It's great to see your face, Michelle. I've missed you, Michelle, right? Father God, we just thank you, Father God, for the privilege to be here, Father God. We thank you. I, don't, don't babble. And I think there's also some danger in, in using God's name as filler when you don't know what else to say. That, that might go back to, um, <laughs> uh, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm not, not, right? We, we, we want to we pray and, and talk to God as a friend because that's what we are, how he's presented to us. Certainly with reverence. And yet we don't need to be afraid to Approach him. The Bible assumes that we'll pray. Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Do you see here the persistence that's presented in prayer? Ask, seek, knock. Don't give up, right? Not to, don't, don't get discouraged because prayers aren't answered maybe as quickly as you would think they should be or in the way you think they should be. Yet we're called to spend time devoted in prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking, and promised, right, that asking it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. Luke 18.1, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. 
Again, assuming that, that God's people will pray, and here's, here's Jesus encouraging His disciples to labor in prayer, to devote themselves to prayer. You may remember the parable of the persistent widow. This widow who goes to the king and begs him relentlessly. And we're, we're told in that parable that the king didn't have any concern for man or any fear of God, and yet because this widow would not stop knocking on his door, he finally gives in to make her go away. And, and Jesus' point there is not that, that God's a stingy God who's just waiting for you to annoy him so he can, so he can finally give you what you want, but he said if, if this wicked king who finally listened to the widow's persistent cry and gave in. Do, do you not think that your Father in heaven who loves you deeply hears you when you pray? Pray always, not give up. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.17 puts it about as succinctly as it, as it can possibly be put. And this is Paul writing. He just says, pray constantly. Now obviously this is going to be more of a personal type prayer, right? Because we, we don't live in a world that operates uh, in such a way that allows us to constantly be gathered together as the church. We have things known as jobs and, and, and things that, that happen in life like you have to eat in order to sustain your body, right? So it's, it's not practical for us to be here all the time. And this obviously doesn't refer to pray constantly with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I don't recommend that, right? Now, I can be in prayer when I'm at Walmart, but I don't recommend doing it that way. So the Bible presents to us prayer as a normal part, a normal, normal routine in the Christian life. We are to be people of prayer. And, and prayer in its most basic form is a declaration of dependence on God. And it's root. That's what prayer is. It's, it's saying to God, I am not in control, but I know that you are. I don't have all the answers, but I know that you do. And so we've seen that the early church devoted themselves to prayer. And the question for us then might be, well, how do I do that? Because I'll start praying and, and, and then I get distracted by something. Well, let me, I'm going to walk us through just a really simple acrostic this morning. And then we're going to use this in, in a time of prayer. Um, the acrostic, ironically enough, is Acts. Since, since we're in the book of Acts, I thought this one made sense. There are, there are others. This is not the only way to do it. I have... If, if, if you're like, hey, I've tried that, that one didn't really work for me, um, visit with me. I, I have some other ideas for, for how to pray. The, the, the key thing is not that you like nail a certain method of praying. Do you know what the key is? That, that you pray. That's it. That you spend time in prayer. This Acts acrostic is, is simply this. We begin with adoration. Adoration, that's other, otherwise that's known as 
phrase, right? We come to the Father and we remind ourselves, first of all in prayer, who we are speaking to. And I think this is important because this, this puts everything else into perspective, right? If we spend some time praising the God who made the universe, the God who sent His only Son to be the sacrifice for us, this should put some things into perspective. As we come to focus on who God is, that should reveal to us who we are, and that leads us to the next part, which is confession. See, in light of who God is, we're reminded that we are fallen, sinful human beings, and and as we praise God, as we spend time in His holiness, that should expose some sin in our own lives. And rather than trying to hide it, rather than trying to cover it up, rather than trying to make excuses for it, as believers, we're called to simply confess it. And this is the difference in in believers and non-believers. I don't know how often you've been around believers, but, but in a lot of cases, we don't necessarily live a lot better than other people. Now, I hope there are um, things that we don't do, but, but, but believers struggle with sin just as much as anyone else. Do you know the difference? Believers' lives is to be marked by confession and repentance of sin and a desire to walk in holiness. Confession, but spending time confessing sins to God. And, and I don't follow this up too by saying, and then we, we want to remind ourselves, and, it, and the Holy Spirit should remind us the assurance of salvation that we have. As we confess sins, as followers of Christ, we are then immediately reminded of the forgiveness that exists, the forgiveness that's there. And that should lead us into the next part, which is thanksgiving. I don't think I have to explain this one, right? Thanksgiving. It's giving thanks. Giving thanks to God for who He is, for the blessings that He's given to us, for the gift of salvation, for sending Christ Jesus as our sacrifice sacrifice on our behalf. Thanksgiving for the, for the blessing of living another day, even in 2020, that, that, that we've made it through. And then here at the end, we come to what's called supplication. That's a big fancy word. It just fits in the acrostic. And this is, this is simply the asking part. Now, there's a reason that this one's at the, at the end. In fact, um, in almost every prayer method that I've, that I've ever seen, asking is either at the end or close to the end. And there's a reason for that. Because after spending time in praise of who God is and confessing our sins and thanking Him for who He is and what He's given to us, could it be that our list of things that we're bringing to Him might change a little bit throughout that process? There might be some things that we came to him initially thinking we needed to ask God for that that don't really matter anymore at that point. There might be different things that have been added to that list. See the difference in this and 
how so often we pray where we treat God as really a supernatural Santa Claus. Here's my list of things that I want. In Jesus' name, amen. This changes that. And so what we're going to do for the next few moments is um, we're going to spend time walking through this. And so I have some scripture that I'm going to read, that, and then we'll take just a few moments. It's not going to be long. Uh, we'll take just a few moments to, to spend personally in, in praying. We're going to begin with adoration. Let's focus on this passage, Psalm 8. Just, just listen. I didn't put these on the screen because I want us to just listen to God's Word and then let that drive us to prayer. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is Your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with Your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, You have established a stronghold on account of Your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe Your heavens, the work of Your fingers, the moon and the stars which You set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Let's take just a couple of minutes. And pray in adoration of our God that His name would be magnificent throughout the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You because You are magnificent. We stand in awe of Your mighty works. That You who created the heavens and the earth love us. I pray we would never take that for granted but that we would live our lives in adoration of You. That we would come to see You for who You truly are. 
an amazing, wonderful, awesome God. As we move into time of confession, as in spending time thinking about the greatness of God, as I said, exposes who we are. In Psalm 51, Dave prayed, David prayed this, said, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Let's take a minute. Ask the Lord to search your heart to reveal sin. Then when he does, confess it to him. Let's pray now. Our Father, we come before you confessing that we are sinful people. We have broken your commands. We've rebelled against you. We've, we've allowed things to creep into our lives and take the place that only you should have. And so this morning we confess. We ask you to forgive where we have failed you. We thank you for sending Christ Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. That we might be assured of your forgiveness, your compassion, your mercy, and your grace to us, sinners. Help us to put to death those things in our lives that would fight against the Spirit of God in us. That we as followers of Christ might live lives that exhibit what we say we believe.
Now we move into a time of thanksgiving, thanking God for who He is. And I have a, an extended passage here out of Psalm 136 that'll help us focus on who God is and how we can give thanks to Him. Psalm 136 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. He alone does great wonders. His faithful love endures forever. He made the heavens skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. He spread the land on the waters. His faithful love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night. His faithful love endures forever. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. His faithful love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. His faithful love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, His faithful love endures forever. He divided the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. And led Israel through. His faithful love endures forever. But hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led His people in the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. He struck down great kings. His faithful love endures forever. And slaughtered famous kings. His faithful love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, His faithful love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, His faithful love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. An inheritance to Israel his servant. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our humiliation. His faithful love endures forever and rescued us from our foes. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Just as the psalmist recounted the history of God's people and his faithfulness to them, Spend some time thinking through God's faithfulness to you in your own life and spend time thanking Him for that. Father, we thank You for who You are and for what You've done for us. As David recounted the faithfulness of God to His people, may we recount Your faithfulness in our own lives. As we look back and see Your hand at work 
in us. See the way you've preserved your church, the way that you've watched over this flock, the way that you've thus far protected us from from so many of the effects of the virus this year here at First Baptist Church. We thank you for that. We thank you that your faithful love endures forever. Finally, we move to, to supplication, to an asking. And I have a simple verse here, Philippians 4.19, which simply says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So now let's spend just a, just a few moments asking God to meet needs, presenting our requests to him. And I'll close this. Let's pray now. Father, we do ask that you would give us today our daily bread. Meet the needs that we have for today. I don't pretend to know the requests that each of us has. As a church body, we, we asked you to this morning to be with the Fountain family, the Henderson family. I ask that you would be with Judy Beasley, as she continues to recover from her surgery and looks forward to uh, an extended time of rehab now. Father, for the needs that we have here as a church, we ask you would continue to meet those. Pray for our drive through event on Saturday night, one that's going to look obviously very different from previous years, but we pray you would be glorified and that our community would be encouraged. We'd be able to demonstrate there's a church here that loves this community. And if it means doing something as simple as a, as a drive-through fall festival, that you allow us to the opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Help us to keep our eyes on you each and every day, being people who spend time de devoted in prayer and adoring you, confessing sins to you, thanking you for who you are, and then 
coming before the throne of grace boldly with our requests. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us in sending Christ Jesus to the earth. It's in. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song of response. And, and so the invitation today is, is very simple. It's, it's simply this. Be people of prayer. Spend time in, in prayer. We'll do a special prayer emphasis at the beginning of the year on Wednesday nights. And I would invite you to be a part of that as we'll gather together to, to pray corporately. But um, don't miss the opportunity to be people devoted to prayer. That we, we don't have a church that's fervent in prayer unless we have people who are devoted to prayer. So there's the, there's the invitation. There's your charge this week. Pray. Pray constantly. Let's stand and we'll sing.